How many of you have, um, have been to the Holocaust Museum? Okay. A number of you. So you know, you can take my word for it if you haven't been, that it's an overwhelming experience. Not just spiritually, it is. Not just morally, it is. But also informationally, it is. There's just so much to take in, so much sadness, so much evil. But I've got to tell you the genius of the museum is this. The genius of the museum is that they got the details of loss correctly. They compiled so well the stories so that you don't lose the individual lives in the morass of the numbers. You don't lose the details through all the things that just want to shut us down. We confront an evil that horrendous. I remember so many specifics, and it was 14, 15 years ago that I was there. But I got to tell you the one thing that really, really stayed with me, this particular, was these. There is, in one of the rooms, a collection of glasses. And before these kinds of things became the kind of fashion accessory that they could charge an amount so much that I'm embarrassed to admit how much these cost, They were just old-time spectacles, rimless frames, and piles and piles and piles at the museum. i got to tell you, the particulars were done so well at the museum that they scaled the numbers down back to a human size again, and you could really feel it, not just become numb in front of it. And so because of this, because the particulars were contained and were compiled, and you really felt the lives, the lives lost, the final room that I've talked to you about, with some of you about before, is the Hall of Memory, the eternal flame that always is lit there as you exit the museum. And they have the words from the book of Exodus from the first time Moses meets God. And the bush was not consumed. And the bush was not consumed. It is such a grace note. It doesn't take away everything you've just seen, everything you've just known, everything you've encountered as much as someone who is an observer can encounter it. But those words, and the bush was not consumed. At the end, it's not a reprieve, but it is a reminder. Is a reminder because we have seen the compilation of the lives lost, what was lost, and why what was lost still matters, and why in spite of everything, that final little grace note, the bush was not consumed. That final note, in spite of everything, we are still so worthy of second chances as human beings that the universe is remarkably somehow not done with us yet. Now, I have to tell you, the Holocaust Museum might seem an odd place to start with an introduction to Wally this morning, G-rated animation. But I got to tell you, the geniuses at Pixar, and I use that word very intentionally, the geniuses at Pixar are playing on some very heavy, very sacred ground. Because what they do is they walk so fine a line, that delicate balance between, on the one hand, something that can be taken as simply wonderful, very funny, very witty, amazing to look at, entertainment. And then on the other hand, on the other hand, it is also this movie an examination of what 
really matters in life. What Paul Tillich, in redefining what God meant to him in his time, called our ultimate concern, what concerns us ultimately, what seizes our hearts, that is what Wally manages to do, manages to be so entertaining and so fun and yet reach deeply into life. Now, how many of you have seen Wally already? Yeah, it's a pretty good percentage. The rest of you, please see it. Do yourself a favor. Wally stands for this waste allocation load lifter earth class. Basically, is to say he is a robot trash compactor. He is part Charlie Chaplin's little tramp and very much part also E.T. And like both of those figures from movies past, he is equal parts both whimsy, tremendous amount of fun, and also a deep longing, a deep loneliness, a sadness that you almost sense in this character. Wally spends his days, and many of them, we'll get to that in a second, many of days compacting trash, building skyscrapers from these cubes that he produces, towering over our former monuments. I say former because this is the setting of Wally. For 700 years, Wally has been doing this day after day, decade after decade, century after century. Because what happened is the B and L folks, and that stands for by and large, by and large said many years ago, many centuries ago, that they would take the survivors of an ecologically devastated Earth, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of tens of thousands of them, up into space, and they would return only five years later when all the Wallies had done their job and removed all the trash that we had created. But things don't go according to plan. And the human beings are left floating up there in space, and Wally is the one last remaining Wally, and he does his job does his job, continues his work day after day. But this is the really interesting part. Time has a way of changing a robot drone. And when we meet Wally, as we're about to, we can see that he is more than simply a glorified garbage disposal. That is Wally's life. But he is more than just a trash compactor. See, he's grown curious in century after century of being around what the now deceased George Carlin called the places, the many places of our stuff. And so you can see he's starting to compile and saving what's really important to him. And being a Chaplin-like character, this really does harken back to a silent movie. Almost the first 45 minutes, there is no talking whatsoever. It is amazing. I think the filmmakers took an incredible risk because we love to go to the movies and hear a lot of talk going on. For almost half this movie, there's communication, but there's not speech. And what this does is it establishes a real loneliness. You get a sense of what Wally is pining for. You get a sense of what he is longing for. As the world seems to have run out of gas, we see the old jokes realized that only two things other than our garbage and one remaining Wally survive us, Twinkies and cockroaches. Twinkies and cockroaches are our last remaining contribution of organic matter on this earth. And it's really Wally and the cockroach. He's a caretaker for this little guy, but he's not a companion. So among the many things that he has salvaged that he thinks speak of importance about who we were and who we might be again, there is one thing that he goes back to day after day after day. You could call it his spiritual practice. It is an old, not even VHS, 
certainly not DVD, an old Betamax tape, if any of you remember those, an old Betamax tape of the 1969 film version of Hello, Dolly. It could not be in many ways more average. And yet this is how Wally, kind of like another tin man before him, gets his heart. From this he learns singing and he learns dancing and even more than that he learns about love. There's the refrain that is played over and over again every single night, almost before he shuts down and goes to sleep. It only takes a moment to be loved a whole life long. It only takes a moment to be loved a whole life long from Hallel Dolly. See, Wally has been learning about what love is for 700 years. He's been learning about who he is and who we were from what we have left behind. But he wasn't designed this way. That's the coolest part. He has evolved. He has evolved to a place where he has grown, you could say, a heart. He has done this by intuiting what are the most valuable pieces of what we have left behind us. And so instead of just sifting through our refuse, you could say that he has found refuge. Refuge and building of this heart within himself, even in his being alone. And he prepares himself. He prepares himself for the opportunity when love does come along. That funny bit we just saw in which he takes a look at the, you know, the diamond and the case and he chucks the diamond back and he keeps the case because he's fascinated by it. That's not just a funny commentary about the fact that, well, you know what? Diamonds really are not forever. Really what he's doing is he's working out the mechanics of connection. He is working out the hinge upon which all human relationships swings. He is practicing. Because you know what he is there? What he's doing there when he's swinging that? He's learning to hold a hand. If you've seen the movie, that's so much of what the movie revolves around. I got to tell you, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, they really in some ways wrote this song. I just want to hold your hand. That's all that Wally wants to do. He wants to find a hand to hold. He wants to be grasped and he wants to reach out to grasp as well too. He understands the physics of our human hearts. In the oldest and still most compelling story that there is, it is again love that ultimately saves him and as well us. See, because what happens as we go forward in the movie, he meets Eve who works very much like an egg crossed with an iPod. Very sleek. He is dumpy and dirty. She is as clean and as an apple dream as one can imagine. And here the plot kicks into high gear. Because you see, Eve arrives on Earth as a mission. As a mission. She is there to find something. And at first he is just overjoyed to think he can have someone he can impress. And so he brings out his Charlie Chaplin-like top hat and does a dance back and forth. And she is singularly unimpressed with his wooing. One of the things that Wally has also saved, and this is where the plot really moves forward, is exactly what Eve has come to find. The sign that life can sustain Earth once again. The sign that there can be photosynthesis. And so one of the things that he has found is just the smallest, tiniest little plant. A sprout growing up out of dirt in an old boot. And she sees it, and she takes it into herself, almost like she's taking it into her womb, and she shuts down. She shuts down. She goes into this lockdown mode to protect what's inside of her. Wally doesn't like this very much, especially one day when the spaceship comes back for her to take her off to fulfill her mission. And he's saying, I'm not letting you go that easy. And so an amazing piece of animation, he hangs on to the outside of the spaceship, screaming sort of like a really psychotic R2-D2. 
saying, I'm not going to let you go because I found this hand to hold. They're taking them back to the ship named Axiom, which is where the exile humans have been floating around for 700 years. Now, the irony is that while Wally has spent about three quarters of a millennium on Earth learning from human ancestors, us, what love is really all about, finding the treasures amongst the wasteland, the humans in space have been moving in exactly opposite direction to him. Everything is provided on the axiom. Everything we could ever want. It almost sounds like paradise at first, but you realize in sort of a nod to the Matrix movie, it's a little bit more benign than that. We're not actually being fed on, and in some ways it's more scary because everything is provided, and so what has happened to us as human beings, we have become just big infants. Just big infants. Infants are wonderful, and they are beautiful, but we recognize them and we welcome them so that they can grow. In fact, we've regressed 700 years in the future, and so we float around drinking from what looked like mega, mega, mega-sized big gulps with our own private video screen in front of us, oblivious to anyone and anything that the computers and the technology are not providing. It's kind of like they've fallen victim to one of my favorite Homer Simpson lines. If you remember this from about a decade back, he and Grandpa Swimp Simpson switch places in the nursing home. And Homer first sees someone who's using a wheelchair, and he says out loud, look at what this guy's got, and here I am using my legs like a sucker. <laughs> and he takes that to its logical conclusion, because next he sees someone on a ventilator. And he says, here I am using my lungs like a sucker. Of course, the logic of this is that you shut your life down if you don't make the effort. And that's what's happened on the axiom in the spaceship. Ultimately, the humans there are not at all awake, not aware. I think this is also a sly rebuke on the part of the filmmakers to those spiritual traditions. And there's versions on the right and there's versions on the left that say, we create our own reality. We create our own truth, just us individually. And it's a sense that somehow that is a good thing. Not on the axiom. You get a sense of that vision that in fact that is the hell of loneliness. The hell of disconnection. The hell of not having significant human relationships. And actually I like their commentary on technology altogether. It would be really ironic if the people at Pixar were saying technology is the devil wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. In fact, they're doing something much more sophisticated. They're saying that ultimately, whatever the technology is, it's a tool. If it serves to bind us each to the other and bring us closer together in communication and communion, it's a good thing. If it separates us, if it isolates us, it makes us think that we are self-sufficient apart from our brothers and our sisters, well, then it simply will put us to sleep and isolate us from each other. What the movie wants to do is call us back into awakening, call us back into love and into life. And I got to tell you, although the movie really starts from a sort of sappy and sentimental place, and by the way, I don't use those words in a negative way. I love sappy stuff. I love sentimental stuff. But it also has a vision of very mature love at the heart of it. It's kind of like you know, it starts out in puppy love and moves to mature love. See, Wally, in the beginning, he crushes on Eve because it's only about the two of them alone. But when they go up in space... And what they're doing assumes together, the two of them, the dimension of a mission, which they find out is nothing less than the saving of Earth itself. 
when what they do together is bigger than than just the two of them alone or just the two of them as a couple, well, then they really fall in love. Then their love becomes mutual. Then it becomes mature. And then, then it is enough to save more than just themselves. Their love grows from something very small, very funny, very beautiful, very poignant. But it grows from something small into something amazingly significant. What Wally is really about at its deepest level is about how small things can grow to become significant things. But first we have to recognize that they are small first. These are small things like in a very, very funny knot. How many of you remember 2001, A Space Odyssey? You remember Das Spake, also Sprach Zarathustra, you know, for those of you who speak German, and, you know, the apes throwing around the bones, and, you know, this is supposed to prefigure the, our coming into space and our future evolution and all that stuff. I like Stanley Kubrick. I never really liked that film all that much, to be honest with you. But you have humans, for the first time in decades, taking a step on the hull of the axiom with also Sprach Zarathustra in the background. And it's very funny, but also what they're saying is this small thing is a first step and a necessary step for human beings to become recognizable to ourselves again. There's a lighter, a Zippo, that Wally saves that when they, he and Eve are stuck back on Earth before they get picked up in the spaceship, they light. They light this small Zippo and are able to see each other in the darkness when a sandstorm overcomes them. And the smallness, of course, of that one single tiny plant that proves so much that earth can sustain life again. This way of seeing is truly a spiritual capacity. It is to appreciate and to savor the world even under less than ideal circumstances. One of my favorite stories was originally, I believe, a Buddhist story, although I've heard in told in so many different traditions. It's a story of a man who's walking one day along a plain and he sees in back of him several hundred yards, several hundred yards in back of him, a pack of wild dogs. And pretty soon what he recognizes, because they're getting closer and closer and closer, is that he is the prey for that pack of wild dogs. And so he takes off running. He takes off running until he gets to the edge of a cliff and the dogs are getting closer and he's got no place to go. And so he begins to lower himself down on this small root that is sticking out of the side of the cliff. And he thinks to himself, okay, I can be safe here for a little bit. I can hang on. And the dogs are right at the edge of the cliff waiting for him to come back up. And he looks below to the ocean underneath the cliff and he sees there some sharks starting to circle waiting for him perhaps to fall. He's going to be a snack above. He's going to be a snack below. He's thinking things are getting pretty dire. Maybe I can just hang out here for a while. And then he starts to notice, whoops, the root by which he is holding on, starting to let go. He's saying, perhaps this is it for me. Perhaps this is it. Direness all around. And while he's hanging there, hanging by a thread, He sees on the side of the cliff growing out next to the root these amazingly bright red berries. And he lifts up his tongue and he eats. And those berries are the sweetest thing he has ever had in his life. In the midst of everything else that's dire that's going around him, still he has the capacity to recognize the gift of this small grace. Maybe today, maybe today you're feeling a little bit like that guy hanging off the cliff. Up above, you're going to be lunch. 
down below, maybe a tasty snack. Maybe you're wondering, is it worth hanging on? What this lesson, and indeed Wally teaches us, is that we start any way of rebuilding our lives by first recognizing those small gifts around us. It is too much when we are feeling completely depleted to say we want it all, we want it right now, and we want to have our life back immediately. Instead, it starts with that capacity of recognizing, recognizing and seeing those small gifts of grace that can call us back into life. It is a delicate kind of hope, a fragile kind of hope, but it is a real hope. And it is the hope that Wally starts with and also in many ways ends with. See, hope always, if it is authentic, starts very small. And what the makers of the film are saying is that cynicism, our cynicism about the state of our world, our cynicism about human community, our cynicism about gas prices, our cynicism about our politician, our cynicism, whatever it is, Hopelessness is easy. To sort of paraphrase Kermit the Frog, it is easy being bleak. It is easy to say, I can wash my hands of all of this. What's the point? But the folks who made Wally are very, very aware of our human foibles. But they are even more blessedly aware of our great capacities for love and creativity and goodness and connection. So even in the midst of the earth barely surviving an apocalypse, and for those of you who were here two weeks ago, you remember I preached on the happening, and perhaps you also remember I could not stand it <laughs> in no uncertain terms. And the reason I couldn't stand it is because there is an apocalypse that visits our earth, and yet, who cares? They don't describe what's being lost in that movie. M. Night Shyamalan has lost his ability to make us care about his characters. It's the exact opposite in Wally. We care so much. We care so much about the destiny of the people and the robots that we know there's something at stake here. We can see that through what he has compiled, he is not just salvaging. He is also saving and offering us that opportunity to be saved again. He really gets what the writer, the poet Annie Dillard wrote. She said, we are here to abet creation and to witness to it. To notice, notice each other's complex face and beautiful nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. Creation need not play to an empty house. Those are the stakes in Wally. We are called to witness to witness once again and to honor the creation inside of us and around us, to wake up, like the song said this morning, to wake up to the holy now, not some other time, some other space, some other place, but right here in this very moment amongst us all, we are sitting in the middle of it. We are not waiting, or at least I hope you're not waiting for it to come at some other time. It is here, and if we can honor it here, we will see it with the next step we take and the next step after that and the next step after that. It is to see our lives in the way that we talk about in our core beliefs that, yes, the burning bush still blazes, even if you can only perceive it as a flicker. Even if it is only a flicker to you, even if it's only a Zippo lighter, still the light shines. Still there is wisdom. Still it is blazing. The bush is not consumed. To answer in the midst of our very real troubles, our real loneliness, Perhaps even the sense at times that we are abandoned. 
I got to tell you, especially in those 45 minutes when I was watching Wally, I remembered very, very viscerally what it was like for me in my early 20s when I was sort of, hmm, nothing to grasp or seemingly nothing to grasp onto. And I could recognize that loneliness and recognize that longingness and recognize even the dread of what Pascal wrote many centuries ago that he was confronted and was afraid of the eternal silence of infinite spaces, of space that seems so vast and inhospitable to our lives. But we are called, especially as a spiritual community, to answer those moments, those moments of loneliness with the clear light of a deeper recognition. One of my favorite writers, Raymond Carver, said it best at the end of his life, which was not an easy one, was a difficult one, much of it of his own making. But at the close of his life, awakening, he wrote, and did you get, and did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so. I did. And he asked himself the question, and what did you want? What did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved upon this earth. To call myself beloved, to feel ourselves beloved upon this earth. I won't ruin the exact ending for you of the movie. But Wally and Eve are at the end able to call themselves so beloved upon the earth. And so finally are the human beings returned to the earth and beloved upon us. And so I wish that it will be this way with you as well. That you are able to say, perhaps even in spite of those even so moments, that you can get what you desire that you may call yourselves and you may call others and may you be beloved upon this earth. Amen. May you live in blessing.